Welcome to Searching for Mana, the podcast that investigates the mana. That's the superpower in some of the most influential leaders who are building the future in tech innovation and finance. I'm Lloyd Wahead, a London-born entrepreneur and headhunter with over 15 years experience on a mission to discover what drives our guests to succeed. How have they got to the top? What attributes have excelled in their career? Listen to find out. Welcome to Searching for Mana. Welcome to Searching for Mana, Charlie. It's fantastic to be here, Lloyd. Um, fuller introduction, Charlie Dellingpole, um, Comply Advantage, uh, founder, CEO, um, serial entrepreneur i think by now safe to say um we'll go we'll go through the background which starts um leaving cambridge with a company that had already been founded um, when charlie was 16 which i believe now is one of the largest um forum resources that students use to have conversations with each other we'll go into that i've probably said that you know 60 percent correctly um in 2010 ish charlie founds at that point Market Invoice, which is now known as Market Finance, certainly one of the prominent names on the fintech scene. And then uh, 2014 um, founds Comply Advantage, of which um, has had uh, a lot of success. And we're going to specifics because I don't want to get it wrong. But broadly speaking, you know, you guys have got um, a couple hundred people. Um, you're through Series B. You've got um, Borderton, Intex. Uh, so, you know, prominent venture capitals, uh, venture capital firms backing the business. And then also Charlie now has started um, seeding businesses um, as an angel investor, a couple of names, uh, Credit Kudos, uh, which has been in the press recently, doing really great things, um, and uh, KO as well, and I think a couple more. Um, so really excited to talk through your bio, Charlie. Um, and try and understand, um, you know, how you continually keep being successful as an entrepreneur. But perhaps if you could set the scene for what's going on right now in your world and at Comply Advantage, please. Great. Um, thanks a lot for the um, flattering intro, Lloyd. Um, yeah, no. Um, so Comply Advantage um, is a database of terrorists, money launderers and other characters from netflix serials um so yeah we're trying to map all eight billion people and companies in the world using machine learning and we then provide that data to i think roughly a thousand end clients in the fintech space banking payments insurance lending high-risk corporates who use that to onboard um, monitor and then analyze their client behavior and stay out of jail <laughs> And when you um, launched that service, that wasn't something that existed already? So the rationale behind starting the company was that there are a kind of series of intractable problems, um, not least the fact that there was, that there was and still is X trillion dollars of money being laundered. Um, and whenever that money is laundered, there's always a precedent crime, right? There's always people being trafficked as always banks being robbed there's always 
drugs being supplied. So there's always some form of crime or evil that happens as a result of that. So the best way to get to these criminals is through their money, as in hidden where it hurts. Um, and so what that means is that the regulators, as in the governments, have deputized the banks and other payment companies because it's like whack-a-mole, as in as soon as you've tried one area or geography, then you try another. And so the whole economy is at risk. Um, and so processes are deeply manual, very inefficient, very expensive, and it's probably the hardest problem within fintech or payments. Um, and so the reason to start the company was that there's, there are kind of these, these large databases like um, WorldCheck, LexNexus, Dow Jones, and they got 400 researchers each that manually compiled databases. Um, and I thought that was crazy, as in it's like painting the fourth bridge, as in as soon as you finish, you have to try again. And so um, what we've got now is we're now similar kind of size. We're now 250 people um, raised $40 million um, and we work with roughly 100 partners who resell the data and then 500 direct clients um, and we think it's better than everything else, right? Um, in terms of there's the kind of manual workflow as in um, it does using AI, right? Um, it's like having interns in the if you have a thousand interns, they can get through all the they can get through all the monotonous tasks. But then, in terms of going the next layer and having one person who's worked for a million hours and they can then see insights that they wouldn't be able to see, that's like what. Sure, the first thing is very important, but also the second form of the, the kind of advanced analytics and network behavior is also um, probably the key reason. As in, we want to completely reinvent the way it's done and. That's only possible because you aren't using humans because you have data structures and caches and um, pipelines and flows of data that weren't previously there. So thanks for um, talking us through that. That makes um, that makes some sense. I just try and keep on um, going at it till I, I can really understand, um, you know, where the landscape was and then what you guys have done, and then we can work through what the what the next steps are. Of course, because it's a it's um a never ending jigsaw puzzle, I think, by the sounds of it, um, you know, to draw a parallel in my world, um, as as the owner of a headhunting firm, um, you have an ocean of people um, out in the world who can either be a candidate or a client or the same. And, um, you know, certainly how companies previously used to go about a search was they'd get the vacancy from a company. And then they'd go to market um, and try and find the, the you know the best fit. And needless to say, because there'd be time constraints, you know you're really um, only completing a very small percentage of that um, best person to to take to the company. And so, you know what we do is we're constantly mapping the market. So we chose a very small niche that we can get our grip around. Um, you know, let's say fifteen thousand candidates who genuinely do have technical engineering analytical skill sets in the UK who have an interest in finance from certain types of degrees and then you constantly track them and then when a client comes to you you're able to say okay cool well you know let's put in these tags see who's at the top of the list for this suiting and present them and so with this 
I think I understand the challenge. It's absolutely vast, right? So how are you going about attacking it? What, what, I, what I got from that was it used to be 100, 200, 300, 400 people who are manually trying to work through data um, who are people in this instance who have become suspicious, perhaps, through various transactions. And then, like you said, you'd have to start again if in seven years' time you needed to do the same thing. So what is your AI doing, you know, X1000 that an intern or researcher could be building? And how have you gone about compartmentalizing and segmenting that so that you fix a small part first and then broaden out? Yeah, um, great question. I think um, in, 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 in terms of um, the kind of challenge, right? So, so I think like, there are some industries where like the prey to optimality and there's a kind of the 80 20 is like yeah. um you know you can get 80 percent of the benefit from doing 20 percent of the work right whereas i think yeah this is interesting because it has kind of insurance like properties as in um you want complete certainty as in you want the final 99 to 100 percent, but also you also want the kind of um zero to one as in the kind of tail risk getting the tail risk of of being able to miss one particular person or one particular company or one particular linkage is absolutely huge, right? As in, right. I think like, um, as in ha having a broad understanding um, is like, you know, like it, I think in terms of um, the, the, the kind of asymmetric risks are that it, if you make an error, then you can get fined a billion dollars. You'll let like a cartel fund their movements and money right so it's kind of um i think what clients are kind of paying for here is like certainty and protection so um and also kind of um there's kind of an element of de deterministic versus probabilistic as in um as in there are certain rules and procedures that you kind of have to go through um it, it, it it just isn't enough to kind of have a um a kind of sense that on balance it's fine because um but, but then also in terms of scale um as in some of our clients um themselves have 10 million clients and at any given point they need to know which of those are kind of high risk um so what that means is kind of um data sets right so it's kind of there's there's four core data sets there's sort of Sanctioned entity, so asset freezes, travel bans, warnings, which are kind of the same, but on a on a state level, um, not a national level, and then um, adverse media. So if it was Lloyd, Lloyd was involved in a in a cartel, um, was in Daily Mail, then that would come in, and then political exposure. So if you were the Ugandan prime minister, you might exfiltrate money outside, and therefore you're kind of deemed high risk. So it's kind of um, there's a whole range of risks that we need to look at um, and that could appear um, at any given point and much sure 10 million client bases like at any given point of, uh, of the month right so it's kind of the risks and scope are just kind of vast I think versus what you do where it's kind of professional judgment expertise here it's just kind of the expanse is is not well suited to the humans at all it has to be suited to, towards kind of massive databases yeah no ab ab absolutely um yeah i i completely agree you know it's akin to not wanting somebody to um you know kind of 
drive the um, aeroplane unless they're 100% competent to do so. Whereas yeah. uh, the, ch- the challenge that um, we're taking on is trying to trying to add some type of service value, um, but just easy for me to wrap my head around it. So um, what I'm interested in is a few things. Is that challenge harder in fintech because the companies are new and they've suddenly just acquired a bunch of um, consumers who are spending money? And, you know, if we go back to the origins of um, the banking part of fintech, certainly, you know, million customers are required. You know, it's money's just getting transferred all over the shop. It must have been a complete mess. And were you guys helping out with that? Was that complexed? So I think the interesting point to make here is that um, fintech enabled new ways of thinking. As in, if you, if you interview the guy who builds the tech stack at HBC, he'd say, listen, we weren't allowed by the regulator to do this thing beforehand. And then Monzo did it. And suddenly it, 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 it's fine, right? So I think um, as in all the, all the incumbent banks now have been granted permission because someone else has done it. To do to do things they want to do anyway, right? So, um, sure, there's the kind of can Amazon become Walmart before Walmart can become Amazon? As in, can the incumbent get the innovation before the new entrant gets distribution? There's that, but also there's the kind of regulatory permissions section. As in, Tandem launched and they, they had to launch on an old banking call like Fiserv, right? Whereas, yeah. um, and, and obviously to own your like if everything's software, to own your own software is like critical. So, um. But, and, and then there's the kind of 10-year second of migration from, from like hosted software to the cloud and APIs and, you know, and then there's the kind of Google, Amazon, Facebook, R&D, but like, you know, look at all the stuff that's coming out of like Kubernetes and Kafka, right? Like, like that's like transformed everything in the past like two years, right? Um, and that, that's simply an exhaust product of Gaffer, right? So the... Um situation that um is the biggest challenge in your business today what what is that charlie um so for us it was always um parity then compelling as in improving the data to the point where it's as good as everyone else and then um and then because we're structurally different accelerating away I think we now have the best product. I guess the question is now, how do we get distribution, right? And I think, um, I think we need to drive adoption. So primarily, it's probably a go-to-market challenge around how you convince people to switch um, and adopt us. And I think the way we do that is by demonstrably showing everyone, hey, do, do a data test. You know, we'll benchmark it and, and show on both, both false negatives and false positives is better. So. Um, yeah, I, I'd say particularly now hiring isn't. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think there've been lo- lots of recent layoffs, right? So I think I, I think and not many people have, are hiring. So, so so I think it's kind of switched from being a talent challenge right now to being a, a kind of sales challenge probably. And do you feel like um, there's companies that um, you're tracking anymore? Um, and by that I mean, you know, brands that were fantastic 10, 20, 30 years ago you know, most of your ideal customers are using and you're selling against them because you feel like you said you've got a better product now? Or actually, do you feel like you're into, you know, kind of clear blue water here and it's just literally about getting um, 
people to become aware of how good your product is. We're always competing against World Check, Dow Jones, Lexus. That's it. Yeah, and when and you go up around all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and when you go up against them, uh, how are you coming out of that? Yeah, I think I think you know we've grown. Like I started the company in this room, um, like six years ago, right, and on my own, right, as in. Like six years ago, I was in this room on my own, like thinking of things to do, right? And you know, so it, 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 we now raised like forty million dollars. You know, like we've got like teams in Singapore and New York and Romania, and yeah. So I, I think it's kind of it's grown, right? But I think um, you know, we, we raised forty million, and therefore, you know, we need to get to like X billion valuation, right? Otherwise we haven't done a good job and we also need to like for the like you know, solve actual crime right so i think um we're still tiny compared to where we need to get to yeah but that's from the perspective which of course you know consumes a lot of a uh, person in your seats thinking and efforts of how we're valued and how does this look to venture capital and you know what are the benchmarks that i'm trying to achieve that's one thing the other is, you know, the market opportunity and then also the competitive landscape. How do you feel, um, obviously, as a very new um, company, forget how prominent you guys are in fintech versus, you know, companies like you said, Dow Jones, like these are Goliath businesses, networks are deep, huge sales force, etc. How are you feeling about it? Are you like, I think we've got them on product. Like, I, you know, I think that when we're going up against them in tenders, you know, we're winning a decent percentage of time. How's it going? How's that competition going? Yeah, we're the only one pursuing our path, as in we're the only one doing, going down our route. So I, I think product-wise, we're in a great place. Because, you know, we have a six-year head start. If anyone chooses to do what we're doing, right, and, and they haven't. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, um, I, think, I think for us, the next step is like, winning tier one banks right um as in mid-market fine right i think like getting hbcs and like you know like globally um is the next step for us and would you and would you would you would you be able to manage landing an hsbc right now yeah i think we've been in a good place for that yeah absolutely yeah okay well that's like you know we've been like furiously improved like you know and it isn't just the product but also it's the kind of infrastructure around that in terms of pre-sales and support and maturity and you know and we've gone live with like you know hundreds of clients already right and they're all happy so it's kind of yeah the next stage is fantastic commanding exciting exciting so you know you introed um some of the <laughs> challenging characters that you're uh, you're combating um as you know akin to netflix series have you got any um you really any really cool stories you could talk us through um so i guess people will never publicize the stories as in they'll never say oh we can onboard the terrorist right um because it's like professionally extremely damaging right as in um but yeah i mean there are some great stories if you take them out for dinner as in um but also you have to you have to empathize with the clients right in terms of like the best story I've heard is um, um, one of our clients joined a big company, like a fifth of their revenue was coming from this one um, client who was, he felt was obviously laundering money. 
Um, he had to go to the board and say, listen, we should shut down our biggest client by far. It'll mean we start burning money and are unprofitable. Um, and he took a huge risk. And like a month later, the, they were raided by the police. And lo and behold, the client was you know, part of a criminal group. Um, and from that day forth, he, you know, the kind of level of credibility that he had in terms of the company, because, because he stuck his neck out, because he took a risk, um, he, you know, um, the, the company just wouldn't have survived. Right. And I think, yeah. um, you often see in the press people who are, you know, fought, personally find millions of dollars or the companies find, um, billions of dollars and only at that stage, uh, like to, to, to publicly censor a company for failings of this type means that the regulator has, has tried everything and has then only then um, been able to publicize it. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, um, the, the people running these AML teams have huge challenges and um, face massive risks. So, yeah, I think it's um, an important area to try and help. With um, regards to that individual, um, obviously we have to be discreet here. I understand that, but just generically, what aroused the suspicion? So there, there are algorithms, but then there's also common sense. As in, if they say, you know, we are like so. One common thing is we get like um, they say, oh, we're a media production company. And, and then you, you look at all the, all the bank statements and, you know, um, it just doesn't make any sense because why are you purchasing like, you know, lubricant and all, you know, like all, all stuff and, and lo and behold, it's, um, it's a brothel, right? So I think, um, and some of our clients have that in terms of like, if you're an SME bank, then you'll onboard clients and they'll say, and they'll say one thing and then behave in a different way. And you just have to ask, like, you know, you told me this, but actually this is happening. Um, are you, are you smuggling heroin, or are you, are you actually a brothel, or, um, and yeah, I think it's um, in terms of how you try and hide your behavior, activity, and masquerade as something you're not, right? That's that's the kind of money laundering art form, right? If you look at, if you look at, um. um the shows on Netflix um, about people starting money laundering fronts, right? They'll open like cash-based businesses. They'll try and transport goods. They'll open bars. They'll open, um, and you know, if the turnover is a hundred million dollars and you're a cafe on the corner, then you know, how many tea cakes are you selling, right? Like questions like that to say, like you know, um, if you're taking twenty percent as a cut willingly, then then fine. Um, but then if you actually care about not laundering money and not going to jail, then you have to be able to notice that actually um, there's a huge disparity between the reality and perception. So you said you're working with, um, you know, mid-tier businesses. We haven't quite got to the HSBCs yet, but um, that mid-tier is just as interesting. So if you um, thought about one of your typical stakeholders, um, then this would be right the way to the CEO, right? You're going to have CFO, CRO, you know, CEO all interested in making sure that the company's compliant, doing what it can here, etc. Then again, could you give us some type of example of what their agenda is? Because it's, it's so complex, isn't it? If you've got 
maybe even millions of people setting up businesses in your facility, then how do you possibly go about trying to um, counter all of the fraud, the anti-money laundering that's going on? Because I just need to walk down the um, the high street in East London, <laughs> Charlie, to see that, yeah. you know, some, some of those shops um, d- definitely don't ever have any customers in them. And yeah. uh, they're still there years on with, uh, you know, very flamboyant cars parking outside. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. okay, what's, what's going on here? And it fits the description you've just, just mentioned. But, you know, if you're a, a bank manager or manager of a payments business, whatever it is, you've got tens, hundreds of thousands of these scenarios. In what type of order do they try and tackle this? I, I'm going to imagine this is where your AI helps out, but just, you know, compartmentalize how they're going about trying to be prudent here. Yeah, and so... So um, I guess the core of that is just anomaly detection as in as a baseline standard of behavior. And then on any given parameter, you can detect that there are massive outliers and then you can flag by the kind of level of risk and then and then um, launch a deeper investigation. And then after the investigation, you can then move to enforcement. Right. So, um, yeah, I think. So, um, so, so is your so is your so you're using some type of like natural learning process here where it's seeing if there's anomaly in like the connection of what the business is saying it is and then the transactions that are happening on that account as yeah, one so example. What we're doing is tying together um, the, the kind of contextual information around both the end. So there's entities and their behavior and you expect some sort of linkage, right? So on the one hand, we've got like, if there's a, if there's a mention of you and Daily Mail being linked to a scandal, right? Or if there's a um, if you own a shares in the company that's linked to um, a Iranian shipping company, or so th- th- there's the entity level databases which we built, but then also we have the transactional analysis behavior as well. So kind of um, so we'll, we'll analyze payment flows. So we'll say okay, if you send a payment to someone else for like um, one of the first clients we had um, sent payments for KHAT, which is legal in the UK. It's like a Somali cocaine substitute. Legal in the UK, but illegal in the US. And you know, so, so if you're screening a payment, then it's kind of from to and then the narrative and then and certain um, bank codes can be sanctioned. So that that's the payment screening behavior. But then also the transactional behavior, senders, beneficiaries, intermediaries, um, countries like if send money to Iraq or then then so that, um, and ideally what you do is is link up all the entity behavior and all of the transactional behavior in one big network and I guess that's a big push for us is we're trying to build one massive graph of everything yeah um, and then be able to reason so if everything's structured correctly then you can detect the baseline and detect the anomaly. For everything right for, for postcodes and geographies and latitudes and everything you can reason with so um so you know right now we've raised 40 million um that we, we will raise more and um, we will spend it and we will invest it and we're building something that's never been created before and the state of the art right as in um like on day one it was of such massive scope people thought i was crazy right in terms of like you know how are you ever going to track every person in the world, right? And we're doing it. So, like, um, yeah, I think, I think, um, part of the excitement for me is like, you know, even though we're six years in, we still, I still haven't built what I set out to build because there's just so much infrastructure in place. 
but yeah. that, that you have to build that to have the solution. Where are you in the journey for having, I mean, I assume one target is we need to go get all 8 billion people onto the database, right? Is, yeah. is, and you, you, you said you've partnered with, say, 100 different types of agencies to accumulate that data. That's probably well, I mean, they They buy our data. Oh, okay. So how have you gone and got that? Uh, how are you building towards having everyone on 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 in the world <laughs> on the database yeah. as the as the baseline starting point? But not not just everyone, but also everything that exists, right? So, um, like, um, I've got a Slack channel um, where we're releasing hundreds of new data updates every day, right? And also, we're, 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 you know, we're spend we're spending like three hundred thousand dollars a month on server costs, right? And we have 150 engineers and all we're doing is just kind of constantly layering more and more information. Right. So, um, and that's, the, you know, and, and, and so that's the, to the taxonomy before, like, you know, just every type of risk, right. So we built up this 20 category risk type and in every, like we've got extractors in every language we've got like Spanish, you no, know, like the search algorithm, like just kind of the, the level of sophistication is, you know, it's, it's great now, but like, I think, um we're layering in corporate data as well so you know like every registry glo- so you know i was on this dubai webinar this morning and they've got seven different registries and all the emirates and like you link that and connect to that so it's just kind of there's so much information online and it's about being able to connect it but then also the, the, the clients give us data as well that we can use to augment the data so it's kind of um a lot of it is only possible if they're using your system so the users become the creators of the system as well. Cool. So if I'm listening to this, um, then I'm thinking, okay, this guy's going big. Uh, you know, this sounds like a mission to join that's going to certainly fulfill the right type of person for, you know, um, the, the long term. Who are the type of people? I know talent isn't a, an immediate thing that is... is of the most importance. I mean, it's always important, but the type of people, the what's the culture that you can impress on them if they thought that they wanted to join this mission, which sounds which sounds like oh, you knew if, if this was for you, you're the only guys doing this. So I think this is my third company, right? And so I think the attitude that I came in on day one has actually changed a lot in the past year. I think. So I think, I think now, okay, so now we're like, you know, 250 people, right? And it's, it's very different to kind of when we were like 20, right? I think now what you need, like now there's this kind of senior layer of management, right? Each of which you need to be able to run like 20 people, right? And so the question about those people is, are they an executive, right? Are they capable of running a team? Do they have a great number two? Do they have a like, are, like if someone isn't performing, are they able to like, you know, get rid of them, right? Like, like in terms of like, you need these people to be able to like be hyper effective, and so um, I think that's like so that for me is the kind of focus now, right? As in um, managers and managers and managers, right? So that's a very different concern to kind of I need a good developer, right? Because I don't like now interview like like. The, 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 you know, like the, the, the kind of 
the, the, the locus of action has shifted from like, can I hire an effective like IC to what is a good CMO or what is a good CT? Like, like, like it's just kind of um, running a company with like a thousand people again is going to be like completely different to like running a company of three. So I mean, like at this scale, it's it's very different, right? And so and and, and Charlie, how how are you thinking that through? So like, let's. Um... <clears throat> Let's just firstly say there's there's no right or wrong here. It's just what what your appetite is. What I think you've obviously demonstrated is that from founding something, you're incredibly good at making it happen. Um, in this instance, you've clearly focused a bunch of um, you know incredibly bright engineers on a impossible task, and it's going as well as it could. You've got the company to two fifty people, so that's 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 uh, that's a large scale. Um, of people to have directed and managed. And then the journey from 250 to 1,000 and then 1,000 to 10,000, et cetera, you know, as we know, um, some people aren't interested in in just managing people or large corporations. For you, is it all of interest? And how are you adapting to the different nature of directing a larger organization as you look forward? I think if it's a hyperbolic curve, right? Like. It, it, then when you're like halfway through, you, you, you know, you made like 2% of the progress, like, you know, the, the time. So, so I think the kind of exciting part is when it kind of scales. Right. And I think, you know, um, and like, it's much easier to build one massive company than 10 small companies. Right. As in to get off the ground is like a lot of work. Right. So whereas doubling something is way easier. Right. Like, you know, so, um, yeah, I think, and, and also, I think the, the kind of the beauty of what we're creating is only just beginning to be realized, right? And I think, um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we got Index on board for the Series B. Um, we got Jan Hammer, who's the director from Index. And I think, you know, he has fashioned many Decacorns, right? He's got like a Decacorn factory, right? He's got like Adyen <laughs> and Robin Hood. Like, no, he's, one, he's like, like, the best of the world at this right he is like you know i think and i think the thing about working with these people is i think you only actually begin to understand the value they create like a year or two in right as in um so i think and i think from what what yan and also tim bunting from bolston brought um like now for me is very obvious but like um i think they've been hugely helpful because they've done it so many times, right? In terms of um, they've been there, they've made the mistakes, and but also, importantly, they were successful, right? And I think, would I rather be lucky or successful? I think I'd rather be like, 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 was it luck or was it a skill, right? I think um, e either way it worked out, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got them on board because um, they've done it before and they've succeeded. Super useful. What's... Um what success going to look like for you over the next several years? Well, I, I think you, you always acclimatize, right? I think like, like, you know, you can have like a lot of down, but then up is like, because, because you have down, it's like the, the, the emotional volatility is huge. Right. But then, you know, after you have something good happen, then you acclimatize. Right. And then, and then I, I think it's, it's like taking drugs, not, not I've ever taken drugs, okay it's like what i imagine like taking drugs is like in terms of like <laughs> you kind of partly do it for, like the kind of high right in terms of like when you have something great happen it feels amazing right and 
that's kind of why you do it. It's kind of for the feeling, right? In terms of, you know, it's working hard with a team. And so, yeah, I think, and we chose something which is very difficult, very challenging, but also, you know, very, very, very big, right? So I think, um, yeah, there's, there's huge potential and we're kind of still very early on, right? So, um, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of scaling the company to be like, you know, like the goal obviously is like ideally like, financially to list on NASDAQ or something, right? Like that, that would be the goal, right? As in, and for that, you need hundred million revenue, right? Growing quickly. So yeah, I, I think that would be a good outcome, right? But then obviously that entails building stuff and selling it, right? So yeah, there's a lot of work to do before that. If we try and remember um, the earliest moment that you suspected, you might have this entrepreneurial flair or appetite to get the um endorphin hit that um is equivalent to taking drugs as you say <laughs> in, in uh in uh kind of creating and founding businesses so 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 before you know even you founded the first one um when do you think it it kind of struck you you wanted to be some type of an entrepreneur businessman i mean my like my kind of great grandparents, my grand, like they all had companies. Right? Um, my dad had a company, but then it kind of collapsed when I was six, and you know he lost everything, right? So, um, and all our friends had companies, right? So it was always it was just a done thing, right? So, um, what, what I guess I was kind of what type of company did he have, Charlie? Um, like, um, so my grandparents had like had a car manufacturing company, so they, they, they built like cars, right? And then my father had an industrial fastener manufacturing industry. It was like Birmingham, like, you know, like Birmingham, like industrial stuff. Right. So, cool. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so, you, know, so, you, so you always, you always up. saw this, you always saw um, people uh, who, who ran their own businesses. So, so it just came naturally to you to think like that, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, but also, I think, like, you know, like, the destruction of the business, like, you know, like, and, and the collapse was, like, you know, not good, right? And, like, in a sense, I kind of wanted revenge, right? So, like, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do it all my life, right? So, like, you know, and, like, finally, I'm kind of getting there, like, t- towards that point, right? But I think, um, yeah, like, you know, I think he says through incompetence and vanity, and you know, he just destroyed the company and lost everything, right? So that was bad. And um, you know, that was at around six or, or whatever you say, quite a young age. And then you end up, um, I believe, at sixteen, um, setting up Student Room, which was yeah. your first um, business that you set up, uh, still going. I think you mentioned it has. Um, it has a it has a strong revenue as well now as well and you, yeah. you you still hold some equity in a on the board i believe um can you tell us that story and where that came from and some of the journey that you had with the student room please yes yeah, so I, I guess um i guess um in the holidays like i was being paid like one pound sixty to pick fruit right or like serve cream teas right and that was like not very remunerative um so i thought like so i, I just got tons of like computer books and learn how to code and built tons of websites. Right. And then 
they started making money very quickly. Um, and then like my first term at Cambridge, it was making like, yeah, like I, I turned it on the holidays before university and it kind of started making like, like it was like hundred pounds a day, 200 pounds a day, 500 pounds a day, just like without doing any work and then a thousand pounds, like all with it. So it kind of kept on doubling every like week. And then finally it was like, you know, 400 grand without doing any work at all. Um, my first term at university. Right. So Jesus Christ, um, amazing. <laughs> like, as it, it just happened and like, yeah. you know, just, it just worked. Right. So, but like, um, and I guess like, um, I just learned how to do like, you know, databases and Python and, you know, um, and that, you were studying, you were studying politics, politics. Is that right? At Cambridge? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you study in politics and then you taught yourself coding, Python, etc., And then you had a, a website that was bringing in some serious money um, at such a young age whilst getting into prestigious Cambridge studying politics. <laughs> what was that time like? Uh, were, you having, were you having fun as well? You know, socialising? Well, I think Fresh Week was a bit weird, right? Because, like, <laughs> I had this thing that was just exploding in the background, right? And yeah. I was just like... And then and also you get, like, you know, you get given, like, write, like, you know, read these, like medieval politics text on like and then these five other books about it and then take these 10 customer service calls but like, it just it can it, it exploded precisely at the time at the university and so like um yeah i think um it was kind of like yeah i, I think but still it was you know student room was kind of one of us is in market invoice says like you know you, you could have won the olympics instead you won the school egg and spoon race right so like <laughs> You know, like, I think one thing to point out is that, you know, um, versus this, the Americans, right? Was we haven't got pre, any kind of... Was it pre-Facebook? What, what, yeah, what, exactly. what year was this? Um, you, 2000. I mean, it was 2001, I, like... Um, oh, like, way, I, way before it, then. Yeah, so, like, you know, Facebook came out in um, March, hit, hit the UK in March, like, 2005, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, um, you know there was so much we could have done and built and we didn't right and i think like yeah. like how many global great technology companies have we built recently in the in, in europe right i think well, a few but not enough right so i think it's a great opportunity to actually, to actually build like a proper tech company right so I, so i think um yeah i mean the, the, the future isn't going to be like industrial fasteners or like um, you know, like the, the, the technologies being created now are essential for our economy and our survival, right? So I think um, as, as a country, we have huge amounts of work to do in terms of getting the people and investment and hopefully building, ideally this would be a decent success story, right? Absolutely. Um, but if we just stick at that moment, then, you know, you've got some traction um, and then I, I know that you end up, I think, working at J.P. Morgan for a few years. Is that right? Yeah, so, I mean, why, I think when I, so why did you why did you not try and push, um, you know, the traction that student room had? What was the thing that meant that that wasn't the right thing for you to uh, pursue at some point? I knew I didn't know how to run a company, and I knew that I was kind of ignorant, right? And I think, yeah, I, I think, um, I think, I wanted to learn how to do it, right? And I think, um, therefore. Um, I explicitly went into like 
TMT M&A, as in working with CEOs of tech, tech companies to see how they ran things, to see how they, and, you know, I had no framework for assessing how to run a company, right? And I think, you know, I've been doing it for like 20 years now, effectively, and um, I'm still like learning the whole time, right? So I think, um, I think, you know, ideally everything would have happened effortlessly and it was just exploded, but I think like, like I think still it takes a long time to learn. And I think even now, like I'm learning huge amounts from people around me, right? So I think, um, yeah. yeah. I think, I think the, you know, kind of uh, famous 10,000 hour thing, or, you know, in my world, I tend to look at when somebody has been doing something for a decade that they've probably got really good at it if they've stayed focused on it and have been motivated and bring a certain type of aptitude to that discipline. You know, it's interesting, like you say, you've been kind of in different capacities running businesses for 20 years. So you'll be insanely I good mean, at um There's that, right? But then a lot of it is just hammering the same thing, as in you have an idea and then for the next like five years, it's just like smashing repeatedly the same nail, right? It's just kind of like, it isn't a question of like learning really, it's a question of just brute force, right? Like as in like it's the same idea, you, you, got, you got to make like, you know, if you're making like 10,000 sales call, you know, like, you know, sure you might learn some, but also it's just actually getting, like actually getting someone to sign, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just like brute force, like you have to get the shit done basically. I've, I mean, I think about this a lot and I think that that's completely right. But I think that when you combine, you know, somebody with a higher aptitude to hammering the nail, then, you know, those timeframes can shorten. Um, and then if you combine somebody who is trying to iterate as they go, then those timeframes can shorten. And then the best type of person, it would seem, after about 10 years can get absolutely excellent at something. Um, so if we go to then when you do go and found uh, market invoice this was in 2010 ish so a decade ago um can yeah you like explain that story for us so i was at university with anil and i guess so we took you know we were talking about potentially buying a company um and we met like hundreds of companies and they didn't seem like great candidates but financial crisis and so why not lend to them right so that was the kind of genesis so i guess we started looking in like july June 2009 and then um we had the infrastructure to begin lending and so I guess yeah um and it kind of like I think that was quite tough too right in terms of like I think of all the fintech sectors lending is probably the toughest I think right to, to do well in um I guess funding circle um like and then now companies like Liberis or Koyo and yeah, I think um, lending has been the most impacted, right? I, I think le lending is a tough area. And did you guys jointly found it then? So you were looking, like you say, to buy a business and you decided, okay, well, let's start lending. And then you were with yeah. Market Invoice for for four years? Is that right? As the, the yeah, so, um, yeah, so we, we, we started it, just two of us in a room in Mayfair. And then... Um, yeah, I left in like what six years ago, basically. So, and what what was the reason? Why did that? Why did um, that not 
I guess, you know, um, Anil's a fantastic executive, so I thought I'd let him get on with it. So. And you didn't feel that um, you could still kind of... You, you, it got to a point where you felt like it was either him doing it or you doing it. You couldn't both add value at that point? Um, I guess, you know, um, Anil's done a great job, right? So, yeah, I thought I'd lean to it. So that brings us back to then you obviously starting um, Comply Advantage um, and then we've gone through the journey there. And so you're at 250-ish people, which is insane. Um, and particularly so because we're in June 2020 for anybody who's listening in the future. Um, so, of course, we've gone through <laughs> some historical After the times. third pandemic happened in 2025 <laughs> and, yeah, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and after the great flood of 2023, right? Like, um, and and, 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 and after, after um, you know, Joe Rogan's the second uh, highest yeah. paid podcast host. Yeah. And uh, obviously there's a whole Netflix channel for Comply Advantage case studies. <laughs> um, what... <laughs> <laughs> what um, is really cool about what you're getting to do now is you've obviously built a great network. You really understand the space and are passionate about fintech at large. And you started to make um, you started to make some investments, um, which sounds awesome to me. When did you get cracking with that? And uh, what, what was your first one? So I guess I always had like everyone would always send, send me their friend who was starting a company, like saying, oh, you know, she talked to Charlie. And so I, I have that, have that for like, since day one. Um, but then the first two died immediately, as in it was a friend from university who'd done like Y Combinator, a friend from JP Morgan. So like, you know, like, and I was like, it was more just like to see how it goes. And um, so the first two died almost immediately, which is like an interesting experience. But then the second, the second, um, the, the third one I've done is actually, um, they've, 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 um, I think they're announcing next week that they've raised a fantastic Series A with a fantastic investor, which is, I won't disclose. I guess by the time this goes out, you'll it'll be announced. But yeah, I mean that that's gone really well. So and then, so this, um, so, this so it will have. So you can you can say who it is. Well, yeah. So I guess um, Kodat have raised ten million from Index, and Yan is wow. joining their board right so and um they yeah i mean um they, they've grown hugely right and then tax scouts they've also raised and this hasn't i think it should be announced by the time it goes out too right again um so both of those like um have done really well and i've done another kind of what 16 um investments like coyo credit kudos so i think i think wow. um it's um yeah, I think it's interesting to do, um, and I think you learn a great deal. I mean, as long as I break even, I'm happy, basically, right? It's more just the kind of, you know, it's a good way to meet people and learn and be exposed to different areas, right? So um, Absolutely. hopefully Absolutely. Um, add some value. I was talking to Christian from Capdesk. Um, I don't know if you know him. I don't. And, uh, yeah, he's he's just got series a and they are kind of building a secondary market for private companies yeah which i think is super cool because you know i'm talking to people the whole time and i'm looking for the fundamentals of what i think is going to make you know the 
the next successful business, as I'm sure you probably are on a higher volume um, than I am. And you can start to kind of work out based on the person, the investors, the traction you can see, the market opportunity, the competition, who you might want to invest in. And um, unless you're at the table with um, the venture capitalists for the round and have significant money, <laughs> then uh, you can't really make plays on that. So I really hope that what he does gets some big traction because, you know, you can join these kind of crowdfunding rounds, can't you? Where it's a company, in essence, perhaps trying to kind of win consumers by, you know, giving a bunch of people sentiment by having some nominal amount in it. But it's not particularly the level that interests me. I want to be able to make some serious plays, but I'm definitely not at the table yet to be able to go put in millions of pounds. Um, when I am, then... Uh, yeah, you know, it, it gets very expensive very quickly, right? As in, it's a really easy way to lose lots of money, right? Yeah. So and, and, you know, it's and, very and easy for... to say, like, 20 grand, why not? You know, like 50 yeah, grand, yeah. Short. But, you know, it's... Um, yeah, I think... Um, and... Yeah, it, it's difficult. What um, difficult. what are the what are the things that you're looking for across those sixteen companies? What are the the similarities? What's the things that's kind of your um, investor philosophy? I guess fundamentally, would I quit my job and join the company? As in, do I? Also, it is like a marriage, right? You know, it's kind of a very long term thing, and you can't. So I think um, it's like, do I love it enough to actually like? work there full time um you know as well as i mean i guess at later stages it, 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 it it's purely like a mathematical formula right about like cac ltv negative net churn like you no know, like um gross like 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 as in uh, like the later stage investors are kind of quite like robotic in terms of like i i think later stage is kind of, can you get a markup, right? <laughs> um, whereas like, I think the beauty of the earlier stage is it, it, it's far more conceptual and about the kind of, you know, so about the product and the team. And um, so yeah, I think it, it evolves as the company changes. I know it's um, how long's a piece of string, but um, from everything you said, it sounds like you're quite passionate about that. And obviously, you'd bring a load of value. Your track record looks like it's it's getting pretty good already. If you did float on the NASDAQ and at some point, you know, we're thinking, what's the next thing for you? Is venture capital looking like that might be what it is? So ideally, you know, you look at Amazon, right? Amazon is not one company. It's like a holding company made from products and which are kind of different stages of their cycle, right? And there's a bit, you know, like some are kind of, like investment bets, others are going to mature business. So like, like ideally I don't want to leave. Right. Um, will I make a good VC? Probably not. Um, I'm probably not as smooth or sophisticated. Like, 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 and also the, these people are kind of, they're, they're, they're like, you know, like there are very few jobs in VCs, right. As in like the, the, the actual industry is tiny compared to PE or everything. So, so I think, um, and they have hidden powers, which I don't think I have, right? In terms of, like, if you get to know, like, Tim Bunting or Jan Hammer, right? Like, these people um, are very, very good at what they do, right? Like, they're, they're much better than me. Like, like, I don't think I can do their job effectively. I mean, sure, it's a highly sought-after job, but I don't think necessarily that I'd be 
as good as them at it. But the dream is obviously Amazon scale with comply advantage whilst continuing to invest in businesses that, you know, you are passionate about, I can value, make some money with along the way as well. Um, I mean, the, 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 all, all I'm going to do, I mean, I, like the angel thing, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, see how it goes, but like, yeah, I, I like building companies, right? That, that That's fun. I'm certainly carrying on doing that basically. With, um, with your company right now, what are you considering in terms of, um, you know, the flexibility, the remoteness, the, the nature of what COVID has done to distributing workforce? Are you looking at that as an opportunity? Are you looking forward to being back in physical offices? What, what's the plan? I, I'm still open-minded on that, as in we haven't yet kind of decided. I, I mean, our, 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 our leases expire later in the year, right? So for the moment, um, we haven't made a call. Um, some like I speaking to one company who have sent their entire tech and products permanently remote, like Google style. Others I know, like there's one company I know that's back in the office already. So I think um, obviously both have attractions, right? As in, if if I can save my entire office costs, amazing, right? But then. Um, we can work remotely because of the accumulated social capital that's been built up between people physically, right? But on the other hand, do we need to be shifting 10 million people every day, two hours, right? Like probably not in London. So I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think like I can have see both sides, um, but we haven't yet made a call because we don't have to. Yeah, cool. Um, it's, um, it's one to probably watch, isn't it? Depends what phase of business you're in. Maybe it also depends how kind of creative the uh, the output is. And so I think in those early phases, useful to have a bunch of people together. Like you say, when you're trying to like learn how to mind share. But, you know, if you're at the point now where um, relationships have been built, then, um, you know, maybe the best option is some type of flexibility. And then people can choose because, you know, some people want to, commute they want to get away from um children right and uh, be able to focus and then some people might be more productive remotely so personally i think flexibility is the best thing to uh, probably do moving forward but i'm sure um for each company it's different um, and that's cool people just need to choose the right cultures therefore um charlie thanks so much it's been absolutely fascinating um thanks Lloyd. It, and hopefully it... it secures your um your 100 million dollar um spot on spotify <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm more after a billion, to be honest. I mean, with a hundred million, yeah. I'll just I'll just throw it at a couple of failing fintechs and be be out of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Take care, Charlie. Thanks, Luke. Please do visit us at manasearch.co.uk. At Mana, we find fintech talent by filling the gap between the archaic search firms and the voluminous recruitment firms. We are connected with the best talent within FinTech. We conjure our headhunting skills to search and find the mana of the best teams. Please get in touch to find out how we can connect you with the very best talent in the market. All that's left for me to say is thanks once again for your support. Take care, stay safe, and see you very soon on Searching for Mana with Lloyd Warhead.